Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug. Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. And if you hear excitement in my voice, there's a reason for that. It is show number 200 of Ellie 2.0 Radio. It is a milestone show. And for this show, we're breaking out of our regular mold of speaking about featured idealists and all that stuff because we're going to talk about some of our favorite interviews, some of our favorite people we've had on the show, but we will still do the big interview because we're going to have Dr. Kurt Nelson on again because he, he hits all of our milestone shows. And remember, Dr. Kurt, you will love him. He's always so great. But here we are, show number 200. And I've got to tell you, this goes way, way back. Our very first LE 2.0 radio show aired on January 8th of 2018. And at that time, it was only a half-hour show. Um, and then eventually, over time, within, I, I don't know, about six months, it became a full-hour show. But for a while, I was, you may remember, I was doing Hidden Edges Radio, that show. And so for a while, I was doing two shows on this station at once. Brett, I, my producer, Brett Johnson, is going to help out with this show. Brett, do you remember me doing two radio shows I don't know how you did that. Yeah, I think for a while, you even did one hour of Hidden Edges and maybe one hour of LE 2.0 radio, which it, is crazy, considering it, your schedule. It was crazy. It was exceedingly crazy, but, but we did it. And so, Brett, I want to kind of remember some outstanding shows that we had and some things. For me, what I remember... For me, the really on on this LE 2.0 radio, the thing that I won't ever forget is remember I took that three thirty three hundred mile road trip down to the deep south in in uh, uh, February, late January, early February of 2018, and I gave that I gave you an, an interview from Montgomery, Alabama, after I had been in Montgomery seeing Court Square, where in one part of Court Square, there's a placard about enslaved humans and how Montgomery was the home of seven slave depots or something like that, you know, auction places where humans were being auctioned. And then on the other side of Court Square was a, a placard about Rosa Parks on the day that she boarded the bus and she refused to take, you know, to give her seat up. You know, Do you remember me? I, I, mean, I was in a hotel room trying to do that interview. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was... Uh... Yeah, a little bit of a challenge to make sure we could connect to you. But, yeah, that was a great trip you took down there, and uh, it'd be fun to go back and listen to that one. I actually forgot about that until you brought that up this morning when you were telling me. No, that's all right. Don't worry about it. But eventually, Brett, we came up with a format that we would, for our one-hour show, that we would feature an idealist, right? Then we would do the big interview of, of somebody. Featured idealist could be somebody current or or who's passed. Then the big interview, of course, would be with somebody live, an idealist doing idealistic work. And then the C block, we would do my work. But Brett, one of our favorite, yours and mine, early on, we had Daryl Davis. Do you remember Daryl? He was, he was, I think he's a pastor, but he was also a musician. And Daryl's thing was, he would go to black, he black man, and he would go talk to the Klan. Remember that? Yeah, I remember having him on. And I, when you first told me you're going to have this guy on, I was like, was this a real person? A black guy that's going to go talk to the Klan? And you're right. He was a great guest, and he told stories about how he had several Klan's members actually turn over their, whatever you call their... Their robes? Their robes, yeah, and, and, to Daryl because they wanted to leave the Klan. 
Unbelievable. And didn't he say that he 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 was also asked to to be at the wedding? He to, oh, yes. to be the at the best man of, of somebody who's a clan member. Now, everyone, you will remember that when I do the big interview, everyone gets asked one question, for sure, one question. What makes you an idealist? Okay? And Brett, you're gonna play the clip where I asked Daryl that. And Daryl gave us this answer that we can never, ever forget. So go ahead, Brett. Daryl, how do we get past these barriers, you know, where people are afraid to talk to each other? We take a walk across the cafeteria. <laughs> uh, what I mean by that is, you know, we work together in offices, we go to school together, but come lunchtime when we go down to the cafeteria, blacks sit with blacks, Hispanics with Hispanics, etc. Um, are they racist? No, not necessarily. But, ten, but people tend to self-segregate because they, they feel more comfortable being around people who look like them, sure. who may share the same culture or speak the same language. But, you know, if we just walk across the cafeteria I love and sit at somebody else's table, we can learn a lot and we can teach a lot. Now, that wasn't necessarily about being an idealist as much as acting like an idealist. And, you know, and, and Brett, he was just so incredibly real. You know, and 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 isn't that I mean, not to to uh, bang our drum here very much. OK, because I don't like braggadociousness. But, Brett, don't we bring in we bring in some real people. Don't we do that? Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. And you do try to drill down to what makes them an idealist and get the real human side of them, which sometimes gets missed when you do interviews. Where you just, ah, well, I just got to get to the content. But really, people want to learn about personalities and what makes people tick. And sometimes those people are young. So you remember we brought in uh, Molly uh, Pinta back in uh, July of 2018. So back early on the show, what Molly was doing, I, I, I found out about Molly. There was, I think it was a Twitter feed somewhere in Elk Grove Heights. They were trying, they were trying to have their very first pride parade in Elk Grove, you know, outer suburb of Chicago. And, and this, at, what was she, 12 years old? Yeah. Trying to organize. She was the one trying to organize um, the Pride Parade. You know, we had, we had Molly on. We had her mom on, I think, at the same time, okay? And you want to play, will you play the clip about what Molly had to say? Yeah, definitely. Here we go. Activism being part of trying to make it part of Molly's soul. Molly, do you feel that? I mean, do you feel that what's happening right now with you and maybe what's been happening within the last year as you've been watching your mom, do you think that this in some way has imprinted you for what will be the rest of your life? I would kind of say so because I would like to follow in their footsteps, in my mom's footsteps, and be as proud and open and fight for what's right okay. for people. Brett, I mean, how do we harness that kind of energy, you know, with young humans? And how can we get that energy bottled and given to older humans, right? Yeah, definitely could uh, use more of that being, as you said, she's 12 years old. And what stuck out and why I kind of remember that one as I looked back at uh, the list of shows was, yeah, she's 12 years old. Uh, well, not outing her. She, she said it on the show that she's a lesbian at age 12 and Think about that in middle school. That's the usually the toughest part of any person's school career is middle school, and she's doing that type of work at that age. So that really stuck out to me. And more people could uh, 
could really kind of use that type of courage. For sure. Absolutely. Now, um, you know, Brett, I, I've been lucky enough to be the subject of a number of different articles and books. And remember, we had Gene Weingarten on, um, who is the author of uh, One Day, A Day in the Life of America, where he picked December 28, 1986 as a day to write about. Um, it just took it from early morning until the, you know, mid, close to midnight that day and had stories of individuals, different people. And he had, you know, through happenstance, as we explained on, that, on, on the show, I had listened to Weingarten talking about this book that he was going to write. And he said, if anybody knows what happened on December 28th, 1986, it's something happened to you, reach out. And that happened to be my 30th birthday. Happened to be a time where I was struggling with my identity about being really being female, but I'm married to the soulmate of my life and Lydia. And, and it was my 30th birthday and she gave me this rock, you know, incredible present, which was a, a CD player back in, you know, like the very first CD player. And we had Gene on because Gene is a character, Pulitzer Prize winning writer for the Washington Post. And um, I asked Gene about his process. I asked him about why he writes things. And, um, and, and will you play his clip? I mean, all of us are trying to make our way to survive the human condition. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there are certain things that you... I, I'm a natural-born cynic, uh, you know, and, and I almost take pride in that, and I, I almost have to take pride in that, because most of the work I do is humor writing. And, you know, humor writing has to find the absurdity in life, and, you know, it has to deal with the silliness of people, etc. But what I find is that the, the more I get to know people the more alike we are in important ways. You know, we're obviously unlike each other in many ways, such as politics and the current divide in this country, you know, etc. But, you know, we all love our children. (laughs) Uh, You know, there are certain things that bind us that are very, very positive. How, How powerful. You know, I mean, from a cynic. Right. Yeah, as he said. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and 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 Brett, it, it, I, I just need to make sure that the audience understands about how incredibly lucky I am. I guess maybe I should say that for the end of the show, but you know, to I mean, to meet a guy like Weingarten who actually had read my book and had over the top commentary about it, so. All right. Well, listen, we got to take a break. Okay. We're going to now going to go to the big interview because I want Dr. Kurt to be on the milestone show. You're going to love what Dr. Kurt has to say. He's going to follow up exactly on what we heard from Daryl and uh, Gene Weingarten. And then when we come back on the other side of Dr. Kurt, talk a little bit more about past shows and then we'll wrap her up. Thanks for being on this one. Bye. Ellie 2.0 Radio, 200th episode. 
I just, you know I'm thrilled, okay? And as I promised, we have Dr. Kurt Nelson of the Lantern Group on the line. Dr. Kurt, are you there? I am. Oh. Great to be back. Oh, Dr. Kurt, I am so thrilled for you to be here for show number 200. You have you have been here for us on our Milestone shows. So we had you on on show 100 and, and, uh, and show 150, and now we have you on show 200. And I just welcome back, and, and my audience, I know they love you, and I'll just remind everybody, you are not a— a therapeutic uh, um, a counselor, but you're a behavioral scientist and and uh, psychologist. Do I have all that right? You do. Thank you for that. Okay. Thank all right. You. Well, we, you know, but I still love calling you Dr. Kurt because you are a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Kurt, I wanted to have you on because in the past you have talked about the power of human kindness. You have talked about, we've talked in the past about fear, Okay. And what I'd like to have you on today is to talk about our divisions, okay, and how we're going to, how, how we can bridge those divisions. You know, on the one side, we've got, you know, we hear about the libs and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and socialists, and they want to destroy the country. And on the other side, we've got the Trumpers and the, and the you know, the, 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 the QAnons, and we have the, you know, uh, the, the people that are banning the books now want to burn the books, okay? And, and, and Dr. Kurt, you know this divide is getting wider rather than narrower. What are we going to do about this? How can we get past this? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting piece. And and so one of the things I want to just start by saying is, is, look, throughout history, we have always divided and across cultures. This is this is not this is not a uniquely American thing. This is not a new phenomena, but we have always separated uh, people into us versus them. It, it's a it's an evolutionary component of how our brains work. We we have always been. I mean, in order to survive, we needed to have our in group, that group of us, that we would, you know, uh, make sure that we were able to protect each other from outward threats. And outward threats are them's and various different pieces. And so, if you weren't part of us, you were part of potential threat. Now, I think the the interesting piece of that, though is that as the world has grown and and we've become more interconnected in different pieces, our groups are also changing and and modifying and moving. And I think one of the hardest pieces of this is really to think about, you know, the idea that thems are always evil and us's are always good. And that's not the case, right? The, the, The case is that we all contain each part of that. And if you just think about how the different social identities that we take on, you know, you and I are both from Iowa, right? So we have this identity of Iowa grads, you know? So, all right, the Hawkeyes are out there. We root for the Hawkeyes and yet we both live in Minnesota. And so we can consider ourselves Minnesotans and we're both, you know, part of the United States and we can do that. And we we're fluid in how we shift between different social identities But sometimes we get locked into some that kind of make a a larger indent, a larger kind of focus for who we are. And that's where I think we've kind of gotten stuck. We get stuck in these um, kind of political elements that are really pushing us into 
a, a really dark spot on on this and i think that's been a, a scary piece but i think there's there's ways around that so well and and well for me the 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 frustrating thing is i understand exactly what you're talking about and I, I know uh, some of the ways that you're going to bring up in a second about how getting past that. For me, the frustrating thing is our leaders are just not modeling it. And they're, they're, no. they're you know, and in and, and, and fact, they're, they're modeling opposite, the, the opposite behavior. And, but, all right, that's a rabbit hole we probably shouldn't go down with the amount of time <laughs> we have. All right, so how can we do this? You, you have talked to me about this concept of compassionate curiosity, and I know that yeah. there's nothing that you ever bring up without science behind it. So yeah. bring it, uh, explain compassionate curiosity to us and the science that goes with that. So compassionate curiosity is, is one of those elements that it was introduced to me by Kwame Christian, who is actually a negotiator, fantastic person. Um, but really what, what compassionate curiosity is, is this idea that when we, have interactions with others, particularly when those others are uh, in what we call in, in the social sciences, the out group, the others, the thems, right? The, the way to really get to understand them and to build some uh, maybe mutual ground that you can find agreement on is to approach it with, with as, as Kwame says, compassionate curiosity. And, and, and it's really important when we think about those two words. So the first is compassionate, that, that you're going into this with this uh, mindset that you're going to have compassion for the person that you you really are, are being there honestly um, trying to understand, right? And then curiosity right. is really the other piece of this, which is you're curious. Like, like why do you believe the things that you do? Why do you feel the things that you feel? But without, sh but are, without shaming, right? Without shaming, right? Without this shaming. Is, that's the compassionate. Exactly, yep. exactly. That's the compassionate part of this, right? And so when you meld those two together, and we've done, you know, from the podcast that we do, um, we've been doing a lot of interviews lately with, with scientists around conspiracy theories and, you know, that crazy uncle that we have. And how do you talk to people who are science deniers and all of those other factors? And this comes up time and time again, is that the way that you you don't shame them, you don't, you know, call them names, you don't be uh, dismissive of them. What you do is you actually try to talk to them and understand where they're coming from. And you can point out logical elements but you know discrepancies but you're not don't don't try to persuade them to your side actually be more in line with i want to really understand why you think the way you think and when you do that there's a there's an aspect of reciprocity that comes in so you're being compassionate you're being curious and by so doing that you open up the door for the other person to do the same with you and when that happens, that's where real discovery can, can start. And that's where you start to find they're not so different, that they're not evil incarnate, that they actually love their families, that they actually, you know, love to have, you know, people, uh, you know, be generally kind to each other and all these other factors that we, we all pretty much as, as humans believe in. 
And it just comes down to trying to be able to find that within the other person and allowing that opportunity to happen. Well, you know, and as my listeners have heard before, and I think maybe even you have heard, you know, I have this thing called the four commonalities. That all yeah. humans have these four things in common. We all want a, a child in our life to succeed. We never want a child not to succeed. B, we want to be free of physical and emotional violence. C, we want to um, we want 20 minutes of peace. You know, we're not going to get 100%, you know, but we want 20 minutes. And last, number four, we all want to love and be loved. We do. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think those four things are common across, I don't care where you are in this world, and I don't care what politics you follow, you know, we, we all want those things. And so why can't we build a bridge around, for me, it is all about the kids. You know, for me, can't, why, you know, why can't we just get behind the idea that we want our children to succeed? Now, of course, that's getting more tricky in America because we've got people thinking they're smarter than the school boards. You know, and, you know, and now that we, now they want to, I mean, I don't know, they want to ban books, you know, Dr. Kurt. I mean, they, they would want to ban my book. My book would be banned. Okay. So I don't know how we, we talk about all of that. Although in the earlier, before you came on in our, the beginning of the show, we talked about Daryl Davis, you know, who is a black man who, who goes and talks to the Klan. You know, yeah. and his phrase is, you know, you've got to you've got to walk across the cafeteria from your group to that other group to engage with them. And maybe and I think, do you think people respect that just that you've done that, that you've been willing to walk across the cafeteria? I think that's a, exactly it. And I think there's a there's a piece of this when we, we see the videos of people at school board meetings and shouting and screaming and they've been, you know, to a certain point you got to think they have some strong beliefs about this now now why do they have those strong beliefs what are those things and as you you talked about it's 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 going across the aisle and you don't want to do it in a school board meeting you want to do it one-on-one most it best is in person right is to have those conversations with people so the people ellie that you're talking about that would want to ban your book is because they're fearful Right. Because as you talked about, it's all about the kids, but in their mindset, you know, potentially, and I, I, you know, not having talked to the individuals that are there and making some big assumptions, which is always a a big, (laughs) you know, potential red flag as we think about that. But, but they're probably fearful that, that the way that they believe what's going to be good for their kids is being threatened by somehow by, by your book and these other books that are going on. And you have to understand what it is about that in order before you can before they can start to open up to you and they can they can go oh maybe it's not maybe this isn't the way maybe maybe i need to rethink my own personal beliefs but in order to do that we have to also be able to open up and say well can it will my beliefs if if they give me evidence if they show me that what their belief is and it's true that I won't just summarily dismiss this because if you're not open, willing to do that, then why should they be willing to do the same for us? And that gets right. into this reciprocity. It gets into all of these factors, which I think are really hard because this is our identities and our identities are sanctified to who we are. And we're very protective of them. And and there's another there's a 
interesting theory. It's called the um, optimal distinctiveness theory. Um, Marilyn Brewer was one of the original people who was, who was talking about this. But this idea, and part of the reason why I think we're getting further and further away is that while we all want to be part of a group, um, we all want to also have a unique element of us, right? We want to be able to say, this is this is uniquely me. This is uniquely, you know, who I am. And so these groups that offer some distinctive uh, elements, which is why you think about, um, you know, any counterculture piece, the uh, goths, uh, you know, in high school, everybody's dressed yep. in black and different things. And you're going, oh, my gosh, you know, it's counterculture because they can say I'm I'm distinct but yet they have their group. It's part of what goes on too with some of the flat earth society and, you know, some of those right. pretty fringe conspiracy groups well, that you're going Q on there. QAnon. I mean, you know, QAnon, so, exactly. Yep, yep. I know something we're unique and yet I'm part of a group. And so we're, we're the optimal distinctiveness uh, uh, around this. And so it's hard sometimes to break through on that because that forms a really <laughs> tight shell around our belief systems. But again, if you go in, and there's a, there's another part, we talked about compassionate curiosity. The other piece is we are all social creatures and we're fluid in that social identity aspect of what we do. But the idea of being able to potentially lift our thought to what it is that is the larger group that we're a part of, right? And if we think about right. this at some point, we're all human. And so we all have that in common, right? And to another degree within the United States, we're all Americans, transcendent, right? Um, you're talking transcending values. That's what you're talking about. Yes. You transcending know? values, taking things from a different perspective. And as I talked about before, the other way of, of really trying to start to this conversation with people, right? This idea of having... Uh, a real conversation, not a shouting match, not a, uh, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, kind of, you know, back and forth, but a real conversation to really get at that core is to try to find what are those areas that you are in alignment around. And so again, you talked about it's all about the kids. Well, what is it that you want kids and get specific with people and start asking them, well, what is a good life? What, what do you want to see? You want them to be happy? Yes, I want them to be happy. We agree there, all right? Well, how do we get happy? Well, we go this. I, all right, I agree with that part, but I also think this. And so you can go into those examples right. of talking about that. And then once you form this sense of, of hey, we're, we, we have these things in common, then they're more likely to listen to you when you say things that are not in common. And as long as you're open to listening to them, there's usually a, a this back and forth that you can come. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to change 100%, nor is it that you're going to change 100%. But at least there can be some common understanding. And with that common understanding, then we can raise up to the higher level and be better at having some of these factors come into play. Well, Dr. Kurt, um, we have two minutes left. And you and I, we could continue. I, I, I would love this. And you know, we'll have you back on another Milestone show for sure. But I want to ask you in the two minutes we have, what makes you an idealist? I've never asked you that question on any of the shows that you've been on. But you are an idealist. I, I follow your work, your podcast. Uh, make sure you give us the name of it. 
<laughs> is about idealism. What what makes you, my fellow Iowan, an idealist? It's so it's interesting because I would not claim myself as an idealist. I would claim myself as a realist. And I think that the that piece that differentiates that is that when I look and I look at the facts and I look at research and I look at all of these things that again my self-identity are built around, it there's a positive component of that. Right. If, if I really look at things, you know, if I get stuck in the news feed day in and day out, it kind of brings me down. It, it makes me, oh, my God, it, my heart papillates. And I'm going, where's the world coming to? Why did I have kids? I'm just bringing them into this horrible world. But when I start to actually look at research and how people actually think and the way that we operate, it, it gives me hope. Because I see the opportunities there. I see where we have our chance to really build, uh, you know, this this collaborative community um, to bring science in, to bring, the, you know, humanism in, to, to say, hey, we are all part of this human species and we have these wonderful world that we live in. And wow that's pretty cool and we can all get along if we just you know take a step back and start bringing some of the stuff into play well dr kurt um thank you i, I you know <laughs> I, I adore you and i cherish Ellie, our, i cherish you. our friendship you know i do i do as well and thank you for what you do you talk about, I mean, this work that you do is just fantastic. This idea of bringing, bridging gaps, bridging those divides, I think is more important today than it has ever been. And you are fantastic at what you do. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Okay, well, we'll have you on for 250, assuming we're still around, okay? <laughs> Sounds great, and I, I look forward to it, and, you know, let's maybe even do one before that. So what's, your, that you what's your podcast? Let's get that out so the oh, audience... Oh, podcast is, is Behavioral Groove, so if you're interested in behavioral science and how to apply behavioral science to make your life and work better, come join us. We talked to a lot of really cool people and have really fun conversations. Okay. Behavioral grooves. All right. Well, Dr. Kurt Nelson, thank you again for being on my show and thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your heart. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> All right, audience, when we come back, we'll continue with this milestone show number 200. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio, Dr. Kurt, you know, he had just gotten back from, we, you didn't hear this, but he'd just gotten back from Qatar, trip, you know, to the Middle East, and he was telling me he wasn't firing in all cylinders. I don't think I could tell that. Could you tell that, Brett? No, not at all. As he said, I think uh, off air, yeah, if he's operating at 90%, that's still an excellent Dr. Kurt. <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh. So we'll have him back on 250. We're still around. Uh, <laughs> so, Brett... Um, you know, I got lucky, you know, you, you know, this behind the scenes, everyone, you trying to get people to come in for interviews, you know, I've got a full-time job doing other things. 
so sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. And sometimes I hit hard, I high, I swing high for the fence. And Brett, we we swung high together, and we got John Blake from CNN. You remember that? I do. Yes. You know, and John Blake had written a piece about radical, a radical integration, about getting the same thing that we just we heard from Daryl. The same thing we heard from Gene Weingarten, the same thing we just heard from Dr. Kurt about people getting together who are different, you know, but we got to get past our fears and all of that. And John Blake, you know, grew up in a family where his mother was white, but she was not part of the family and he, he didn't know her. Okay. And, and, and so, um, I asked John Blake what made him an idealist. And, and by the way, he is such a kind man. I, John Blake answered my emails always immediately. The man, he writes for CNN. Can you believe that, Brett? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a unique story he brought, certainly, yeah, with, the, with his background and how he was kind of estranged from one part of his family for a long, long time. And he, and, but what a class act. Okay, but I asked him what made him an idealist. Go ahead, please, play that clip. It's so clear to me, you want to make the world a better place. How did you, what made you that way? Um, when I see the changes in my family, I know that if we can heal, so can others. Um, I, I'm amazed at the kind of relationship I have with my mother and other people in my family. I never would have expected that when I grew up with this young kid in Baltimore. <laughs> Just tremendous anger I had not knowing where, who my mother was. I didn't even know what she looked like, you know, until I was 17. I didn't know anything about her or her family. I just knew they didn't like black people. And for us to be able to say we love each other, for us to have this relationship, that makes me an idealist. <laughs> How incredibly powerful, Brett. I mean, and, you know, and, and this thing about hidden identities, you know, about shutting people out about shutting out their histories has been also a theme that we've heard in our show, you know, as we've gone over time. So, so Brett, remember, uh, about this time last year, we had Rachel Pilgrim on, she had written this piece that the New York times magazine had picked up about five black women who had founded a church in, um, in, uh, a city, a town outside of New York, which of course, outside of New York City, which of course I'm forgetting, okay? But, but the women's identities had been hidden. They had just, the church just referred to them as five black women, and she went and found their identity. She went through all the church records, and then she came to find out the story of women, five women who fought racism, who fought, fought misogyny, who, who, who worked hard, and I asked Rachel Pilgrim, who she had written this was a part of a thesis for her to get her, I think, master's degree um, at uh, NYU. I asked her what made her an idealist. Can you play that clip, please? All right. So that brings me then to you. Okay. I told you that you'd get this question because everyone on, with the big interview on LE 2.0 does get it. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, what made you an idealist? What made you decide... <laughs> you know, that this would be the story versus you could have done something else <clears throat> for your thesis. And, and obviously, the whole experience that you've had now, I mean, you've even said this in the show, you know, makes you want to write a book about 
the church, the founding, and I have a sense that you want to do other things. So what made you so idealistic? I would say I came out the womb this way. Really growing up into your blackness in America, you're born tired and you're born fighting teams that you didn't know existed before your first breath. So really many of the most valuable lessons about life were the ones that I was never taught, but the ones that I witnessed just in the nuances of navigating this like patchwork of race, womanhood and intersectionality. And it was without a word. So I'd say idealism came with the skin color. Brett, how do we, how do we get that stuff? I mean, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. The humanity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's (laughs) What a phenomenal answer. Yeah, yeah, just what she was talking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then two months ago, um, we had Colette Campbell on um, from Bremer Bank. She is uh, one, of their, um, one of their executive team leaders. She, does, she also is involved with um, diversity and inclusion. She happens to also be a friend of mine, which we made clear on the show. And remember I asked, it's one of my favorite answers that I've ever gotten on this show about why Colette was an idealist. And it's not a very long answer, but Brett, can you play that, please? You are an idealist, somebody to, working to try and make the world a better place. What, what do you think happened in your past or is ongoing right now to make you idealistic? Mm. Oh, I, that's such a good question. I, I, think, I think it's love. <laughs> No, that's kind of. Oh no! I I love that. Stop! I love that. (laughs) I think. I think it's love. And Colette, you know, the daughter of uh, two immigrants from the Caribbean, uh, um, born in Canada, both neither of her parents went to college, you know. And then Colette went on to travel the world, went and taught English in Korea for four years, and did other things. Lived uh, in uh, Central America for a year. It's love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a common theme, really, with everyone you've kind of asked that question to. They kind of say that in a different way. Yeah, it's it's about love and being open and being willing to listen to people. And as Daryl said, go across the lunch table and actually have lunch with people that may disagree with you, don't look like you, because it's easy, especially now, to self-segregate with people that look like you or people that hold the same beliefs and Probably a big reason why we're having the divide. Social media certainly doesn't help in that regard. It just kind of segregates us even more. And I think a lot of the people you're interviewing and even you too are trying to break down those barriers. So that gets us to our empathetic hearts. You know, one of the things, Brett, you could probably say this in your sleep. You've heard it enough times. I say that 98% of all humans are empathetic. We have good empathetic hearts. 2% total sociopaths, but the other 98% good hearts. And that gets us to Larry McDonough. So Larry, we had him on last December. Larry is in the legal world here in the, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. He's a legend. He um, is one of the preeminent authorities on landlord-tenant law in the United States. Worked for legal aid for a very, very long time, then worked for a private law firm. Now teaches at the U. And Larry McDonough, if you know him, you, you, you know that, if, first of all, he looks like Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> and he, 
but he, he's a consummate human because his legal work he takes very seriously. He is very, very good. He's an excellent teacher, excellent instructor, um, but he's also a musician. And we had, remember, we had Larry talk, uh, play some music, and we'll come back to that in a, in a second. But I talked with Larry about what made him an idealist. And Brett, could you play that piece, please? What was it? What happened to you to make well, you such an idealist? Of, yeah, so part of it, uh, which is a much longer story, is that I was uh, raised in an abusive household. Uh, my father um, beat us up a lot. And um, music was one of the ways to get out of the house and get away from that. Um, but I think it it created both maybe kind of an, an kind of an empathetic side of me to people that are also vulnerable. Um, it's it, and you know at the same time I was well educated and so my intellect you know by going to school and going to college and stuff that was built and so I was able to you know find find work and stuff and. But, you know, it's interesting that my brother, Steve, my oldest brother, is a pediatrician in North Dakota, and he cares for the sickest kids in North Dakota. <laughs> and so he has this very empathetic side to his intellectual job. And my job is I'm a lawyer, but I help try to serve the most vulnerable economically people. So I think it, it may stem, it could be that both of us kind of drew some sense of em- empathy out of our early years and deployed that into what we did with the rest of our lives. Brett, you and I have been witnesses to some of these really incredible stories by humans. And I've just got to tell you, Brett, first of all, I want to thank you for four years plus because of the prior show for being there for me. And I, I mean that I also want to make sure I thank Chad Larson, the Matt, the, Show the station owner who has believed in me and who came to me and said that he he wanted me to be on the sh- on the station. But listeners, I um, I want to tell you I'm extremely grateful that you have followed me and that you have believed in my work. I am one incredibly lucky human. I am, and I just I just want to say thanks to all of you and Brett. Thank you, my friend. Oh, absolutely. Been a pleasure doing your show for, gosh, four plus years, as you said. I think your work is so important given what we're seeing happen right now in the country. And your show does a good job continuing your work. And I think we got we to gotta keep going with it. Well, on that note, listeners, we're going to fade out with uh, Larry McDonough's holiday music because he played piano music for us. Played p- piano music for us last year. And so go on. Make the world better. And uh, I'll be talking to you at show uh, 201. Take care.
Christmas Eve will find me when the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas if only.